0: Welcome to the Hope Talks podcast with Grayson Willis and Pastor Margaret Michael, where you'll hear inspiring stories that are filled with hope and good news in Jesus Christ. You can also search for our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcast, and tune in. Welcome to today's broadcast of Hope Talks. I'm Pastor Margaret Michael. And I'm Grayson Willis. Thanks for tuning in. And today we're joined by Lenora Fowler. Lenora, how are you doing today? I'm good. I'm very good. Thanks, Grayson today Lenora is going to be sharing her testimony with us. Uh, Lenora, just start out by telling us where you're from and a little bit about how you grew up. Okay, Um, I'm from right here in the valley. Um, uh, My parents uh, were born in are are part of Mountain Valley, uh, which is in the northern part. Um, And so I am uh, a valley girl, mm-hmm. and uh, grew up here. And um, part of how I grew up is going to be part of my testimony. Yeah. <laughs> so, but I I went to school, you know, grew up, graduated from Spotswood High School, um, first graduating class in 1981, and that tells you how old I am. And um, went to Eastern Midnight University, got my degree, and then I started working, and I work for a law firm here in Harrisonburg, and I've been there for 38 years. Wow. Yeah. Same place. <laughs> same place. Same wow. boss. Wow. Fantastic. Fantastic boss. And, uh, yeah, so, um, I've been here in the Valley all uh, the whole time. So wow. went, did some traveling, but never always came home. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, it's good to have you here. So tell us a little bit about that story. Like, what was it like growing up in Lenora's house? <laughs> well, Lenora's house was very transient. Um, my mother and father, um, were local, um, People um, and they grew up together. Um, My mother was quite a bit older than my dad, but they got married. And uh, I have an older brother who's three years older than I am. But they divorced when I was about three years old. And um, so uh, at that time, we were living in the in the county, and then we moved to Harrisonburg. Mom moved us to Harrisonburg, and so it was mom and myself and my brother. And I was like I said, I was about three years old. Um, and then, uh, everything was kind of pretty normal, but, um, when I was about five years old, my mother was diagnosed with breast cancer. Mm-hmm. So back then, uh, when you were diagnosed with breast cancer, you had to go to Charlottesville mm-hmm. and you went to Charlottesville and you stayed in the hospital. You had surgery then you stayed in the hospital, you had your chemo and you didn't come home until your chemo was over. So probably for the period of time that I was five years old till I was 10 years old, my mother was in and out of the hospital. Mm -hmm. So, um, we would see her and then, you know, she'd be with us and then she'd be away from us. But during all of that time, my mom's family and my dad's family all stepped in Mm -hmm. to take care of us kids. We stayed in our home. Um, I'm not sure how it all happened. I don't know how house payments were made. I don't know any of that. Um, and my mother uh, worked for a local business, a small home business, and they took care of her as well. They always kept her job open. And when she was able to work, she worked. And when she didn't, couldn't work, that was okay. Um, so we were very blessed. The community stepped in. Um, and, and I just want to say, you know, like, for example, things like this couldn't happen now. I don't, I don't think it would happen now. But for, like, example, in the latter part of my life when my mother was not coming home, mm-hmm. Um, they wanted us to stay in Harrisonburg and go to school. I mean, they didn't want to uproot us yeah. from our school. And so a lady, at that time, I thought she was old, but she's probably my age now, <laughs> which I don't consider at all. But at that time, she would come and she would leave her family, and she would come and stay with us throughout the week. She would lived in our house. She stayed with us. She did our laundry, got us up in the morning, gave us breakfast. And then we went to school, came home. She was there for us. But she gave up that time with her family. And then on the weekends, she would go back home. And then we would then go and um, live with, for the weekends, we would stay with our uncles. Mm. Um, My brother would stay with one uncle and I would stay with another uncle. But we were never alone. We never felt um, abandoned or anything. And um, it's just amazing how they wrapped their, um, they changed their lives so that we would be, feel, feel, not like that we were abandoned, and um, feel consistency. And so when we were growing up, at least for me, I'd, that would just seem normal. You know, people were in my house all the time, and, mm-hmm. and uh, I would go, like, on, on certain weekends, that, you know, some of my aunts and uncles or great aunts and uncles would say, oh, come on. So I was constantly going, you know, here to spend a weekend and there to spend a mm-hmm. weekend. And I never felt that the understanding of what was happening on the outside, that my mother was dying. I mean, these people knew my mother was dying. She was not going to make it. But they never brought that to my table. So I never felt uh, at ease or scared or worried or anything because I was protected. And then, um, so when it comes to, when I think about the time with my mother, probably in my, t- the ten, she died when I was 10. So for those 10 years, my mother had probably... Four and a half years to make an impact on my life. Mm. That's probably all she really had. Yeah. And my mother made the greatest impact when I when I talk about my testimony. My testimony goes back to my mom. Mm. My mom was a believer. She was a reader. She oh, I mean, I never saw. You know, I would, often when I would get up in the mornings, I would find her in prayer. Um, if she would, could be on her knees, she'd be on her knees in the on the couch. Um, So it was nothing for me not to see my mother praying and Bible. And my mother was old school because it was like, if church doors were open, we were there. Uh And if she couldn't take us, she found somebody to come pick us up to take us. Yes. We never missed church because of her illness. I'll tell you that for sure. Mm. Um, People would come and pick us up uh, and take us to church. And so I knew my mother's faith. I knew the faith that she had and that she loved God and that she loved her church and they loved her. So that four and a half years of formative years that she probably had with me, that's the basis of my faith. And through everything that's happened to me in my mm-hmm. life, that's been the foundation stone mm-hmm. for my faith. Yeah. Um, because I knew that she had that faith. She ingrained that faith in me in such a, such a small age that it just never left me. And so, you know, if you're a young mother or even a father or whatever, you know, a lot of times, you know, I hear people say, and I work with children, you know, and I'll hear them say, you know, so-and-so's, you know, mom and dad's taking me to Disney World or where I'm going to the beach or I'm this, Mm -hmm. and I'm like, you know, those things are all wonderful and they're all good, but is that really going to be what your child needs? If you left the picture, Mm -hmm. is that going to be enough to get them through their life? Because that was, I mean, I, I can't tell you my mother, I can't tell you her favorite color, I can't tell you her favorite food, I can't tell you any of those things about my mother, but I can tell you that she was a faith woman, that she was yeah. a believer. And I, that's, and I really think that that was important because I needed that, not knowing, you know, you didn't know what I yeah. needed later, but later well, on, God I, you knew. know, God knew yeah. what I would need yeah. to be able to sustain me so that I didn't go the wrong way. Yeah. And, And I just bless my mother for that, Um, that she, she, uh, she, I don't remember going on vacations. We never took a vacation. I mean, I'm sure we did, and I'm sure we did fun things. But when it comes to my mother, the first thing that comes up in my mind is her faith. I do know one of her favorite foods, but other than that, (laughs) other than that, yeah. So So coming out of that, so at at 10, I can't imagine that journey. Yeah. But mom had prepared us and God had prepared us because that whole time we had been going to live with aunts and uncles. And the plan... It wasn't a strange thing then, It wasn't a strange thing. It wasn't a strange thing at all. Um, And in fact, I remember the day my mother died. It was a school day. And they came in and they told me, you know, your mom's, you know, she passed away. But she wasn't there. She, I hadn't seen her probably... She passed away in November and I probably had not seen her since August because they didn't take us to the hospital because... well, one, I don't think she wanted us to see her. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there towards the end, she was just eat yeah. up with cancer. Yeah. So um, it was very painful for her. And uh, and they knew she wasn't getting out. And so that's r- probably the last time I saw her that I can remember. and um, But when they came and told us, you know, I got ready for school. <laughs> and Miss <laughs> us, she was the one taking care of us, She came in and she said, what are you doing? I said, I'm getting ready for school. And she said, no, no, honey. <laughs> well, you're not going to school. You know, your mommy passed away. You can stay home today, you know. Um, so it was a loss, but this was just, you know, people were there to protect me. So it was, you know, it wasn't like I felt abandoned in any way, shape or form. So then, um, Asta stayed with us, um, throughout the rest of the school year. So mom passed away in November. And so, um, then in, um, when the school year ended, then the plans were made that I would go and live with one aunt and uncle and my brother would go and live with another aunt and uncle. And that sounds bad, but we were only a half a mile away from each other. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. short walk. So it was a short yeah. walk. We saw each other on the school bus all the time, you know, so it wasn't like I didn't see him. Um, but I went to live with a aunt and uncle, and they took me in their home, and they were uh, God-fearing and loving, and um, they had two children, and, and they just treated me like one of their own. And I ended up, probably within a year and a half, I called him mom and dad, just mm-hmm. because it, life was easier yeah. than have the hardest thing about losing a parent at an early age is that um, you know like when I was with my aunt, uh, aunt and uncle you know if, if I refer to them as my aunt or uncle then people are like well, why are you living with your aunt and uncle and then you'd have to explain it all mm-hmm. you know and then uh, and so mm-hmm. then it just became easier not to have mm-hmm. to explain it to people that it didn't matter to explain to so uh, I ended up calling them mom and dad and um, I loved them and they loved me like they were my mom and dad. So, um, and they, and so I had a normal childhood from that moment on, um, went to school, everything was just really normal. And then went to college, everything was good. Everything was normal and had, you know, we were in church. And, uh, of course, you know, when I hit college, then it was like, okay, maybe I don't have to go to church. <laughs> you know, okay, maybe I'll sleep in this Sunday. So, But I always knew, going back to my mom, I knew there was a calling. There was an urge. There was something there. There was something missing. Sundays just weren't the same if you didn't go to church. Um, and there was something missing. So, you know, um, and and I think God lets that happen that way so that you can feel the yearning right. to come back. So I um, graduated from college, uh, got my job at the law firm, and everything was good. Um, and, um, so, you know, I had built a house and, you know, God was really blessing and God blessed that whole time. I mean, his, I can look back and I can see all the blessings, my family, you know, where I live, you know, my friends and church, um, and all those things. And, uh, God was very gracious and good, but I mean, he and I, I mean, I had a relationship and I would, you know, I, what, you know, it's not as strong as it is now, obviously it wasn't as strong as it is now, but, uh you know, um, it was good. It was, Mm -hmm. I've had a good life. Um, and then, um, in my 30s, um, I met a man named Al, Big Al, and, um, we got married. He was, it was his second marriage. He had two children from a previous marriage. Um, but we got married and life was really good. Mm -hmm. It felt, felt really good. And, um, so together he and I, he, um, didn't have the same testimony. Um, but he had, was coming to the Lord and had met the Lord and um, uh, had a faith. And so we knew we wanted to start our faith together. So that's what ended us up here, uh, at or actually on Roosevelt Street, Church of the Nazarene. What year was that? It was the year after Carrie came. 95. There you go. Same year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I came in so, October of yeah. 95. And when we ca- I came Easter. Easter's right. when we came. Um, I worked with... Pat Kaufman. Ah, small world. (laughs) Small, small world. Were the kids on Wednesday night, right? Pathfinders. Yeah. Well, then when we then when Al and I got married and we moved here, then we immediately was drawn into the church. Um, That was something we had done at -hmm. at the other church before we got married, and uh, so we continued to do that. Um, That was something Al Al was just very good with that. Um, He was very loving and caring, and could make you laugh, and uh, and he loved that. loved the kids he did and so we um yeah so that's um we started our ministry here and and life was good and um so then um about two years into our marriage um we decided we wanted to try to have a baby and um you know and I, I was in my 30s and he was in his 30s so it was a little bit of a high risk pregnancy um we didn't realize how high risk it was going to be um but um We uh, got pregnant, and we were expecting a baby boy, and everything was good. It was all exciting and good, and we were still, uh, you know, he was still in contact with his children. We would go to, they live in Fredericksburg, and we would go to Fredericksburg every other weekend um, to go and be with them, and um, so we had a great relationship with them, and we just wanted to start a family of our own. Um, And so I was at 28 weeks, and I um, contracted a condition called preeclampsia, and um, at the time... The symptoms that I had were not the normal symptoms of preeclampsia. So the doctors didn't realize what was going on. They thought I had a gallbladder attack. <laughs> but luckily, God was in that situation. They sent me to Charlottesville because they have a NICU unit there. And they thought, well, if something is going wrong, if there's something weird going on, you know, they'll be able to help help us with the baby. Now the baby was only twenty-eight weeks. He was, you know, they tiny. And so they wanted to get us to thirty-two. And so I immediately went over to UVA, they transported me to UVA, and um, then um, when I got there, everything kind of subsided, you know, and so we were in the hospital, and kept all the tests, and finally they decided, oh, it's just your gallbladder, so then they scheduled, he said, well, we'll take your gallbladder out tomorrow, and in the middle of the night, um, on that night, um, things turned to the worst, and it was pretty awful. Mm-hmm. Um Al was at my bedside, and the, I had tremendous pain, and they just couldn't figure out what it was. The, the doctors and everything, of course, it's the middle of the night, you know. And they're like, oh, you know, it's just this. You, you're just having this major gallbladder attack. But it was unlike any pain that I mean, and, and it was just it was horrendous. And uh, I can remember the only thing that I could, that would, I, I was folded uh, over in the bed, and I told Al, I said, you're just going to have to sing to me. I said, I can't stand this. And he sang the song, Jesus, Jesus. Mm -hmm. There's just something about that name. He sang that to me all night long. Wow. That is the only thing that would calm me down. I could just focus on that. Mm -hmm. And um, so then in the next morning uh, when they came in, they said, no, you're in eclampsia. And unfortunately, your liver is shut down. That's why you're in so much pain. Uh, And so in order to, I mean, there there was no going back at that point. They're like the only... Cure for this is to take the baby. So they took the baby, and my son, um, Colton James, was born. He was 11 ounces. (laughs) He was teeny tiny, uh, but he was alive. But during the surgery, I entered into a coma. um, And because my liver had shut down, I was near death's door. And so I was actually uh, in uh, ICU for three days. That was the three days he was alive. He lived for three days. I remember coming out of the coma or out of the yeah, I, get that. I mean, it was in a coma. And, um, the and you know, of course, Al was there, and he told me, you know, that he was alive, and then he was in um, the NICU unit, but things were not going well. He was just mm-hmm. too small. And so probably within about five hours of my waking up, they came and got me and said, we need to take you to the NICU unit. So the first time I saw my son was the first time I got to say goodbye to my son. Mm-hmm. So they let me hold him um, as he passed away, and that was just mm-hmm. horrendous. Um you know, you, you have dreams, and then they're just, they're just yeah. through your hands in no time. I mean, it's just like one minute they were saying gallbladder, and, you know, everything's good, and you'll get to go home, and the next it's all over. Mm. And that was a horrendous um, experience. Mm. And you don't even know what to do with that. I mean, and nobody knows what to tell you to do with that. Um, and so it was um, quite devastating for both Al and myself. And, um, well, we came home. And I went back to work, and the doctors said, you know, um, everything was good. They were worried about my kidneys whether, and my liver, whether they would bounce back, but they did completely. There was no damage. And so um, the doctor said, you can try again. You know, if you want to try again, you can try again. But looking back at that, you know, the, oh, it's just crazy the things that, that you can, the, how God makes things happen. But at the same time that we got pregnant and were having a baby, there was another couple in the church, who got pregnant at the same time, well, after us. And um, I can remember we were actually, for some reason, we were over at the church on Roosevelt Street, and I was in the car waiting on Al. He was in the church for something, and this couple came out. And she saw me, and she came to the car, and she said she just needed to tell me that they were pregnant. And she said, she, I, I, but, you know, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to, how to tell you that. And I'm like, it's okay. I'm so happy for you. Um, And we became good friends out of that. Mm -hmm. And then, lo and behold, they end up losing their daughter. Mm -hmm. Um, And so here within, let's see, I lost July, and they lost their daughter in November. And um, through that, we became the closest of friends. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's just, it was amazing how God brought about our healing and their healing together. I mean, because there wasn't anybody else who could understand. I couldn't, you know, there was nobody else that could understand her pain, And she could understand mine. Mm -hmm. And same thing for um, Steve and Al. I mean, they became friends, and they understood each other, and they understood what to do with their wives, you know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) during all of that. Um, And that was a God thing. Mm -hmm. I mean, God put that together, you know. And um, so then um, we recovered from that. And, of course, you start looking forward. So we got pregnant again. And um, this time around, you know, my doctor, he was just like, you know we're gonna we're gonna make this happen. You know we're gonna we're it's going to be good. And and so I had I had um, a doctor's appointment every week. I saw my doctor every week, and I had to take shots. Al had to give me a shot every morning, with a blood thinner. And um and then I had to go in for these and everything was looking really really good. Um I mean it was a painful pregnancy. <laughs> you <Yeah>. know <laughs> you know to wake up every morning and get a shot um in my leg and uh, but he, uh, Al did it. And we did it, and we, we had the goal that, you know, we were going to have a baby. And we got to um, uh, 32 weeks, and the doctor said we're going to take the baby at 36 because the, mm-hmm. the when they had to take um, Colton, um, they had to do a C-section, and it wasn't a normal C-section, so I could never deliver regularly. Mm-hmm. So they said they couldn't take the chance. And so I remember the day I was at the office, and something happened. It just felt wrong. Something felt wrong. And... Um, I had a little bit of spotting of bleeding. And um, so I called the doctor, uh, and I had just seen him the day before. And uh, he was a great doctor. It was Dr. Hammett. And he was very gracious during all of our pregnancies, both pregnancies. And he had told me, he said, the last thing he told me when I left the doctor's office is that he said, he said, just a couple of weeks and we'll go have a baby. That's what he told me. Mm-hmm. And the next day, I started bleeding. And uh, so I called the doctor's office, and they're like, oh, just go home, put your feet up. <laughs> and I said, well, you know, I said, I don't I don't think I should do that. I said, I, would you call Dr. Amit and would you just let him know it's me, and maybe he'll want to see me. And um, sure enough, he was in Lou Ray at the office there, and he said, go to the office, I'll meet you there. So um, one of the girls in the office, who actually also goes here, <laughs> she drove me to the doctor's office in Alameda's. And we got there, and um, they did an ultrasound, and um, I'll never forget it. Um, Doctor Ammitz's face fell; he couldn't find a heartbeat, and um, he actually went and got his partner, Doctor Sedwick, and Doctor Sedwick came in, and he also tried to do it, and they couldn't find a heartbeat, and um, they just couldn't understand why everything everything was good, everything was fine, it looked fine, and so they took me to the hospital, and to confirm that everything that we had lost him. And, um, so they did the ultrasound, sure enough, he was gone, but they couldn't tell me why there was, I had no pains. I had no nothing, but they couldn't tell me why. So, um, they took me to emergency surgery. And, uh, when I was going to emergency surgery, I started having eclampsia again. Mm. I had, I began, again, began to have the pains of eclampsia. And, um, so they rushed me to emergency surgery and, um, he was gone. But what had happened is, is that my placenta had ruptured Mm. and I had bled into the back, and I had cut off the oxygen. Mm-hmm. I had cut off um, Stephen Adams' mm-hmm. oxygen. So um, if it hadn't clotted, if it would have bled out, he probably would have been saved. Mm-hmm. But because it clotted and it cut off the oxygen, mm-hmm. he didn't have a chance. So, um, in fact, the they almost lost me on the operating table. So there again, the second time around, um, I almost lost my life. Mm-hmm. Um, but they saved me, they gave me, um, I don't even know how many pints of blood because I had um, lost a lot of blood um, and was bleeding, and they couldn't stop the bleeding. Um, and so then again, I was in intensive care for about two days. <laughs> mm. And then when I came out, then I learned the news. I don't know what Al did during that time. I know, And I know people came around him, but he never spoke about what was happening at that time because he just never shared that with me. Um, but I know people from the church. I know Carrie came around him. Uh, I know that there was... You know, there was a lot of people from the church who came around us. And, uh, and of course, that young couple mm-hmm. from the first pregnancy, they were pregnant again as well. Mm-hmm. So we were both pregnant at the same time. And um, so I, uh, I was in the hospital. Um, and when you're in the hospital and you've lost a child, they put you in a special room and so that you're at the end of the hallway, but you're still on the OB floor. Mm-hmm. And that was extremely hard because, unfortunately, that room... The room that I was in was the room that everybody goes out (laughs) to go to the Mm -hmm. elevators to go home. So even though you're in a special room and there's no children around, you see children all over the place. You see babies and you hear laughter. And it was very hard. And um, so um, we came home um, after that. And, of course, uh, he said, you know, he said, the doctor said, you know, you could try again. He said, but you won't make it. He said, I saved you twice. You know, you, you, you were near death's door twice. He said, I just don't think you'll make it again. He says, I really recommend you don't. Um, and, I, and I'm like, well, okay. <laughs> well, you know, you don't have to, you know, the writing on the wall, mm-hmm. you don't have to tell me twice. So we went home one week. And on that Friday of the next week, I got a phone call. And our friends had lost their baby, their daughter, one week mm-hmm. to the day after we lost ours. Mm-hmm. And that was just horrendous. And um, so I immediately left um, when he called me and told me, I'm like, I'm on my way. So I got in the car and I went to the hospital and I went right back into the same room that I had just left the week before. I'm not even sure that anybody else had been in that room with the two of us. Yeah. I was in one week and she was in the next. And it was, that was hard. It was very, very hard. But, you know, when I look back on that, I mean, but we have this bond. She and I have this bond that is just indescribable. And so God brought me that and that was a blessing to me I hate that she had to go through that that Steve and her had to go through that but it was such a blessing for me um for there to be somebody that could understand and I'm hoping I was a blessing for her as well you You know that I was a blessing as well that we because when you go through something like that nobody there's nobody who understands unless you've been there uh that you just don't understand. Yeah. And of course, you know, people being what they are, and they try to be kind, and they try to say, oh, you'll try again, or, you know, yeah. those things just doesn't don't help. work. Doesn't help, does it? Just yeah. doesn't work. And God love you, but that's the <laughs> last thing I need to hear you say to me, I'd rather you just acknowledge, you know, the, the loss. That's really yeah. what you want. You want yeah. someone to acknowledge the loss that you've had. And just to say, I don't understand, but I'll pray for you. And if there's anything I can do for you, you know, let me know. Just but just acknowledge yeah. my loss, yeah. and uh, so. But we have this great friendship, and, and it's, it's a blessing through all that. So through all of that pain and sorrow and suffering, there was this huge blessing, and the, and the church was a true, you know a blessing. Uh, we decided to pour ourselves into children's ministry, and um, you know that's where my heart had always been. I had always taught. Sunday school and those kind of things, and so it was right up our alley, and um, so, and being with children and in, in, in children's church and those kind of things, it's, it's, it's extremely healing, mm-hmm. um, uh, and that's where I've probably done most of my healing is in children's mm-hmm. church, <laughs> so we uh, resigned ourselves to the fact that we wouldn't have children, um, and there was pain and sorrow, but, you know, together we we started to rebuild our lives again, and um, but then, um, and of course, we still had Al's two children, who were a great blessing. Um, and they didn't quite understand everything because they thought there was a baby coming. But you know, um, you know, it, it all worked out, and we continued to love on them and uh, have a great relationship with them. But then, thought um, three years later, the situation had changed, and um, there was just um, we had went actually, Al had went into the ministry. And then there was some disappointment there. And um, so in December, uh, December the 7th of 2003, the greatest tragedy happened, and he took his own life and um, left me a widow. Yeah. And that was the hardest thing that anybody could ever go through. You can, um, you know, I had death and dying all my life. Yeah. My mother died of cancer. You know, I lost my boys. But... This type of death was just unexpected and leaves you asking why? What did I do? Yeah. What happened? What, you know, what, what could I have done differently? And um, you know, and you keep thinking about the last time you, what you said to them or whatever. And it's just ingrained in your life from that moment on. It's like time stops. And um, that was my greatest. That at that point in time, I had my greatest crisis of faith. Yeah. I mean, all the rest yeah. of the stuff, I never questioned God. I never questioned His love. But at that moment in time, there was a rift. But um, with the stability that my mother had given me, you just didn't give up, and you kept coming to church. (laughs) And, uh, you know, it's just like, um, I think about it now. God and I existed. We were living in the same house. But he was in one room, and I was in another. And we didn't coexist together, you know. But he was there. I still came to church it was a different feel mm-hmm. i was doing it through the motions yeah. it was no. it, it was well but i mean yeah. there was no feeling there i mean right. it wasn't i wasn't coming because i wanted to be with god it was just you come to church cuz that's what my mom that's yeah. what ingrained in me and i praise god for that yeah. because if i hadn't had that i would have never darkened these doors again i would have never darkened these doors again i would have turned from god and said okay i'm done with mm-hmm. you and i i don't uh, you know i shiver to think where I would have ended up and what would have happened but there were so many blessings along the way Thank you for listening to today's broadcast of Hope Talks we pray that as you've listened to part 1 of Lenora Fowler's testimony that it's been a half hour of hope for your life we also would like to invite you To catch the second part of Lenora Fowler's testimony next Sunday at noon, right here on 1470 AM and 102.1 FM WBTX. May God bless. Hope Talks is sponsored by Church of the Nazarene Harrisonburg in partnership with Sunshine Ministries. Thanks for listening to today's podcast of Hope Talks. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe for updates and the latest episodes. Also, if you're in the Harrisburg-Rockingham County area, we invite you to listen on the radio each Sunday at noon on 1470 AM or 102.1 FM WBTX.